Hello, and welcome to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. My name is Jamie Edwards, and I'm a full-time professional endurance coach, age group triathlete, and triathlon fan. The Diary of an Age Grouper podcast is all about content relevant to age groupers. We'll talk to athletes, coaches, and experts who walk the walk. On this episode of the Diary of an Age Gripper, we welcome back Kristen Yaks. Kristen first came onto the podcast and shared her story back in episode 10. If you haven't already, be sure to go and check it out. At the time, the race she'd been preparing for, Ironman Canada, had been cancelled and she had deferred her entry to Ironman California. Kristen was about to commence her new eight-week block for the new race. Fast forward to now. The training block is done, the race is done, and let's just say it went well. She came away with a 917 Ironman and the overall female age group win. Listen on to hear all about it. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper. Kristen, welcome back. You've been busy since we last spoke. Yes, I have been. Thank you for having me back. Uh, well, it's obviously, it's, it's my pleasure and it's definitely worth it. I think we've got a pretty cool story and uh, quite symmetrical as well. So for those who don't know what I'm alluding to, we spoke about nine or 10 weeks ago, and you were getting ready for an eight-week block leading into Ironman California. And since then, you've had that eight-week block and you've gone to Ironman California after you got a deferred entry from the cancelled Ironman Canada, and you managed to take the overall female age group title at that at that race. So we thought it'd be good to come back on, talk about how that eight weeks unfolded and then talk about the race itself. How's that sound? Yeah, that sounds great. All right. Well, let's dive in. Um, let's go back to the training. So again, last we spoke, you were having a bit of a reset period between you know, hearing the news of Ironman Canada being cancelled and before you started your final dedicated block for Ironman California. So can you just give us maybe just an overview of how the eight weeks went without getting into the broad details of, of training and, and all that. So just telling us about, you know, as a general summary, how, how it all went, obviously we know the outcome, so we're going to assume it went well, but you know, these things aren't always linear. So can you just give us an overview of that eight weeks and how it went in your own words? Yeah. After Canada was canceled and I had a couple weeks of just, playing and freedom to do what I wanted and then jumping back into that eight-week build into Ironman California I would say that those eight weeks were probably eight of the best weeks that I've ever had going into an Ironman and it definitely reflected that in my race and um, the timing worked really well with my work schedule with um my son's school schedule and everything just kind of aligned. It was like, it was almost like this race was meant to be for me. And those eight weeks were just aligning so well for that race. So I, I mean, I wouldn't have changed a thing. I think that they went pretty, pretty great. <laughs> well, that's always good. Everybody wants the perfect training block or near perfect training block. So was it, was it, um, more just how the training fit into your life, your lifestyle, lifestyle and your schedule, or was it, were you getting really good feelings in, in the sessions that you were doing or was it something else? It was both of those things. It was all of the above. It was, I had four weeks off of work in September and I focused on training, recovery, sleep, nutrition, all the things that I needed to. And I even, um, integrated a little bit more of that into my training to focus on really nitpicky specific things um, for that style of course that I was training for. Cause I'd never done a course like California. I'd never done a flat bike course. I always do hilly courses. So very different style of course for me. And with the changing weather, um, it gets a little colder around here in September, October. And 
I capitalized on the really nice days to do my long rides, to do my race rehearsals. And it just really paid off well. And I was in a good place. I had um, my fitness was at an all time high um, with all the training that I had been doing going into Canada and then not racing and just kind of recovering for a week and playing. Um, it's like I was just ready to fire again and build on that fitness I had already built throughout the summer. So I had never been in that place where I hadn't done a bunch of racing up until that point. So I was just kind of at an all-time high when it comes to my fitness and my numbers. That sounds really good. So it sounds like you've basically done a double Ironman block, but without the race in yes. the middle. So you've yeah you've got yes. you've got two race blocks and one race and uh, it all paid off. So um, you alluded to a couple of things that you did differently. Can you expand on those a little bit more? Yeah. So because I had time in my schedule, I really focused on training um, those key sessions on a course or on terrain that would be similar to the Ironman California course. Um, it's very flat. Uh, so it's not flat around where I live, but I drove out to an area that had the flattest road I could find. And um, I did a bunch of out and backs for my long rides on that flat road. And I did two big key sessions there, um, race, race rehearsals, as I'd like to call them. And um, I really practiced staying in that arrow position because I know that when I'm doing the hilly rides, I'm up out of the bar and like on the bars and I'm out of the arrow position on the climbs. So I had never done five hours in just straight arrow position. And I knew that that's what California was going to require for me. So I was able to really train my body to stay in that arrow position and um, get kind of get used to it. And to be in the little bit cooler temperatures, because I know that um, California can be a little cooler of a race and uh, a windy race. So I trained on days that were a little bit windier. And so I was getting used to the feeling of riding with a headwind and a tailwind and how my speed and my power numbers would align to give me the fastest time. And I really honed in on all of those things. Yeah, so they sound like simple things, but they're very specific to the course and you've obviously just doubled down on them and, again, it's been been very specific and, and very effective. Can you also now, can you just explain what you mean by a race rehearsal and, and what that looks like? Yeah, so my coach has me do a race rehearsal a little over two weeks out from the race and four weeks from the race. And that's really to prepare me for what I'm going to be doing on race day and building that confidence that I can put out the numbers that I did and the power that I did. And I can um, kind of, I, I train how I want to race in a sense. Of course, there would be warm up and like 15 minutes of um, kind of easy riding in between my blocks, but she had me do very specific blocks of race pace power and just focusing on drinking and eating within those race pace blocks with within the ride. And so one of my rides was um, five times 45 minutes at race pace um, numbers. And one of my rides was like a, a ladder in a sense. So it was an hour and then 50 minutes, 40 minutes, 30 minutes. And then she had me ending with two times 15 minutes as hard as I could go. So putting kind of saving whatever I had left in the tank, I would empty it in those 15 minutes to see what I had left toward the end of a ride like that. So I think by doing that, um, I was able to build confidence and know that, yes, I can hit these numbers in training. So I should be able to execute this in racing, um, no problem. And so the first time that I did it, it's like, wow, 
this is amazing. I feel amazing. Is this just a fluke? And then doing it again two weeks later, it helped me to realize, no, this is not a fluke. This is where I should be. And it gave me all the confidence that I needed going into that race. And then for both of those sessions, I did a run off the bike. So I immediately um, got into my running gear and I did, for both, I did a 30 minute run at race pace. And for each of those, I kind of pushed myself a little more than I'm used to. And I was hitting numbers that I usually hit in like a 70.3 race. And so I was building confidence well there as well that I could run strong off of a harder bike. So those were kind of the race rehearsals that really got me prepared and ready for Ironman California. And so in total, are they about, are they six, seven hour training days? Yeah. Um, the bike and the, yeah. If you include both the bike and the run, uh, about six hours. I mean, I was cycling so well that I had emailed her and said, do you want me to, because some of the sessions were like five and a half hours, six hours on the bike. And I said, well, do you want me to do that? Because the first um, race rehearsal that I did, I had done 120 miles. I think that's around like 193 kilometers in well, it's, five yeah, hours it's definitely and 20 over race minutes. Distance. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. In five hours and 20 minutes. And I was like, I don't think I need to be going. I don't need to be doing much more than this. It just felt like a lot. And I was riding at a speed that I was quite surprised by. So um, we decided in the second race rehearsal that I would just hit the Ironman distance for my bike at whatever time that would be and then do the the 40 minutes off the bike. Yeah, okay. And, and so, yeah, then... nothing over six-hour days, really. Yeah. And then what do you, what do, you do the, the day after that? your race rehearsal is that a recovery day or do you do a long run what does that look like that is my long run day so the day after i was doing all of my long runs on that day and how long did your long run get to um i think my longest run was a little over 18 miles two and a half hours two hours and 20 two hours and 20 minutes was my longest run Got it. Um, and can you tell us about the, your your fueling and hydration for us for your key race rehearsal days? And I assume that's going to be very very similar to what you do on race day. Can you just um, talk to us a little bit about about that and what your targets are, and you know even little things like how you carry it on your bike? Do you use special needs or that sort of thing? Yeah. So because of the cooler temperatures, um, I was starting in jackets and leggings and tights and all the things like toe covers gloves hand warmers because it was really cold in our morning so I was pretty bundled up at the start of the ride and then during my transition kind of in the middle of the ride I would take half of that off and refuel and get more um, calories in but I think I did about four bottles. I mean, I train a little bit differently than I race just because the aid stations are available when I'm racing. So I always try and take water at the aid stations when I'm racing just to pour it on me if it's warmer and to get as much water down as I can. Um, but I use a variety of stuff. Like I'm my, my body's not really picky when it comes to what I'm drinking, but I I like to train with Gatorade because that's what they have in the races as well. Um, so just to get my body adapted to that, uh, I use I've used um, Tailwind before. I've used Scratch. So I use a variety of things just so I'm my body's just so I know that I could use whatever comes about on race day. Um, I I think I had about four bottles during those five hours so I don't need a lot when it's a cooler race 
when it's a hotter race, I would definitely adapt and drink more, but definitely when it's a cooler race, I find that if I drink too much, it'll just slosh around in my body. So I just drink regularly, but not too much at the time. Makes sense. And is that just what you've sort of derived from training and racing or have you done you know, specific sort of sweat testing and sort of knowing and understanding your numbers or is it more just, you know, what you've, you know, from trial and error? Yeah, it's just kind of from trial and error. I've never done any sweat testing or I've never done any of the real sciencey stuff. I've just been kind of, I, I like to learn from experiencing what works and maybe I learn a little bit slower because I don't do any of the sciencey stuff, but I just like to do trial and error and learn what works for me. And that's kind of what I go with. I believe in that. Cause I, cause I know it, like if I know it, how it feels, then I'm willing to execute it during a race and know, and know that it'll work for me. And were there any other, I... go on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just moving on to the next question. I was going to say, uh, are there any other standout sessions now? Obviously your, you know, your two race rehearsal days went very well. They probably exceeded exceeded your expectations so much so that you dialed down the second one of those two race rehearsals. Were there any other sort of really standout sessions or really standout weeks that you can recall thinking, oh, I'm, I'm in really good shape here? Yeah, I would say my first big week back from my little two-week playtime between the two races after Canada got canceled and I kind of took a down week and then slowly got back into it. And then I had my first big week and I I knew based on that week that I was very fit and that I would have had a good race in Canada. Um because I was just, I was riding at speeds and hitting certain power numbers that I had never hit before um, for that duration. So I just knew that um, I had a lot of fitness in me and I kind of built on that for the next eight weeks and trusted in that and I used that and really pushed myself, not too much, but I challenged myself to, um, to, to strive those numbers and even kind of tease a little bit higher than those numbers to see what my how my body would respond and it responded quite well I will also say that um going into Canada I had a little bit of a running injury going on in my hip and um my hip was very swollen and I wasn't running at all going into Canada for two weeks and I was just going to wing it and do the run and see how my body reacted. But because that race was canceled and I took the two weeks to kind of um, rest and recover, uh, my hip was able to heal and I was able to get back into running to where I'm capable of. And I think that downtime actually played to my advantage because my body had some time to recover and then go into that eight week build really healthy. Yeah, it sounds like that actually really helped you. And that two week sort of playtime as you call it, it allowed you to not only get over that little niggle, but allowed you to carry some momentum into that final eight week block. So it sounds like everything went really well. Did you were there any points in the in that second eight weeks where it got mentally quite draining knowing it was your second Ironman preparation back to back or were you, were you pretty positive and, and optimistic all the way through? No, I was, I was so excited and so positive. Like I was more worried about going into Canada because of that niggle. But once I was over able to overcome that and I was healthy in those eight weeks, I was just, super pumped and super excited to see what I could do in California. And I just knew that I had done so much throughout the year to prepare for that race that, yeah, I was, I was just 
excited to go into that race. There was no nothing holding me back from that race at all. Oh, very good. All right. So now let's get into the data and the numbers and your training totals and your training week and all that thing. So you've got to tell us all the secrets about how to become an amateur age group champion. How's that sound? <laughs> yes, that sounds great. <laughs> okay. So do you know, let, let's go with sort of the, the averages. Do you know sort of your average training week, how many hours, how many swim, bike and run per week? Do we start there? Yeah, so I averaged around 20 hours a week. Um, and normally I would do a little bit more, um, mostly because of the biking. But because I was bike, I was preparing for a flat course, I didn't need to bike six hours, six and a half hours on the hilly type terrain because I knew I was training for a flat course. So a five hour ride or a five and a half hour ride was all that I needed each week um, to prepare me for that course. And I was doing about four to five swims a week, depending on the week. And I, my running, I started off doing maybe two runs a week because I was still trying to watch out for that injury coming back. But once I, once a couple of weeks went by and my hip was responding really well and nothing was coming back, then I added um, another two or three runs. A lot of them were brick runs. So it would be like a 20 minute or a 30 minute run off the bike. So they weren't long runs. And then I would have one mid midweek long run and longer run not super long and then a my longest run of the week would be on the saturday after my big ride on friday and then i was doing about four rides a week on average i think um on mondays i would do just an hour of vo2 max so really pushing myself, which I think that has helped me tremendously. I think it's important for uh, athletes to do even Ironman at the Ironman distance to do those VO2 max sessions and to integrate that into training in some way. It's helped me to build fitness. And even though you don't race at VO2 max, I definitely think there are moments in a race where you can use those little bursts of energy to when you're passing or when you're going up a, a small climb or you know whenever, I think it's important to have that in your toolkit. And um, I'd have a couple easier, longer rides during the week. And then my key long ride would be on Friday where I would focus on Ironman pacing and a little above Ironman uh, pacing. And then I'd have like a recovery ride on the weekend as an option if I wanted to. All right. So it sounds like you are following a similar structure to your you know, typical Ironman block. A couple of considerations mm -hmm. around your running where you started off with lower volume and lower frequency and then was able to build, build that up. And I think you said earlier, uh, up to an 18 mile long run after one of those key race rehearsal days. Um, mm -hmm. And then at four weeks and two weeks out, you have those race rehearsal days um, still doing strength work. I think you would usually do strength three or four times a week. Yeah. So during this block, I was only doing two strength sessions a week. I was doing one strength se session with my physical therapist and he was really working with me to get my hip better and which really helped because um, I don't think it would have been in, in the place it was without him kind of overseeing what I was doing. And then I would do one strength session at home. Right. And was this a straight eight week block or did you do, you know, three weeks, a week off, another three weeks and a taper? How did, how did it look? No, it was straight eight weeks into the race. I and don't then, feel like I need easy weeks or tapering weeks. I I like the rhythm of the build, but it's not necessarily like 
building, it's being pretty consistent 20 hours each week doing those consistent things, but maybe adding in a little more intensity or speed work or um, intervals on the bike. So it was doing stuff like that um, with recovery integrated in there as well. All right. Do you think there's anything else we need to know about the, the training block? No, I don't think so. It's, it's pretty um, straightforward for me. It was nothing special, but I do think that having those race rehearsal days is what helped me to have the confidence going into Ironman California. All right. And then tell us about your swimming. You kind of have a, an interesting relationship with swimming and the pool and open water and your wetsuit, which we were discussing last time. So, and I think at that time you were potentially looking at dedicating a little bit more time to getting to the pool and trying to develop as a swimmer. So how did, how did that progression go over the, over the eight weeks? Yeah. When, um, even before the eight weeks, when I wasn't doing as much running, I was trying to do more swimming and, um, I think my swimming had progressed. It's hard to tell in this race because it is a river swim, <laughs> but yeah, we'll I, talk about that in a minute. I think my, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> my confidence going into the race, as far as swimming, um, there were no concerns there. I knew that I was fit, that I had done a, a lot of work in the pool and, um, I think that's just what I needed. I needed to be confident in my swim and I was, and I was excited to swim and I knew that I was going to come out of the water fresh. And that's, what's important for me. It may not be the fastest time, but knowing that if I can work on my fitness during training and come out of the water, feeling good, fresh, ready to go. That's, that's how I like to exit the swim. And that's what I was preparing myself for. Even though I knew it was a river swim, I still, put in a lot of time in the pool swimming four to five days a week because I could have easily not because I knew that the the current would help, but I still wanted to do what I could in the water to be fresh and to feel good and still work on my swim um, during that time as well. Yeah, so you'd say at present you're going into Ironman races in particular and it's not necessarily about having a faster swim split, although that is nice and a, you know, a secondary benefit, yes. but it's about being really, really fit so that the, the swim doesn't leave a mark and you can get out feeling fresh and execute really well on the bike or the run. Yeah, and even starting the swim, like if you feel confident starting the swim, you're just going to be more relaxed on race morning. And the night before and the days leading in, and that's what I need. Like, I don't want to be worried about the swim because I haven't, I've only swum two times a week. Like I want to go into the swim saying, yeah, I kicked ass in my training. I dedicated time going to the pool four to five times a week and I'm ready for the swim. And then you just kind of go in with this little like bit of confidence and you feel a little bit more relaxed and you're ready to go. Yeah, well, before we get into the race itself, can you just tell us, I think what's interesting, like you said, you're very consistent at that 20 hours a week for the for the full eight-week block. And last time we spoke, we did go through a Monday to Friday session by session and what that structure looks like. But maybe could you tell us what the the taper week looks like? So when you are, you know, or sorry, rather than taper week, race week, what that looks like for you and what changes you make from an ordinary week how much sort of volume you, you cut back and, and uh, what your priorities are in that final week leading into the race? Yeah. So during race week, it's a very light week. It's probably one of the lighter weeks I've had going into a race actually, because um, both of my older coaches had me do a little bit more volume going into a race, but um, the coach that I'm working with now, Rennie, um, she who some people may have heard had, of. Right. Yes. Hopefully everybody's <laughs> heard of her. She's kind of a legend. Um, but yeah, she had me just, um, I don't think I rode more than 90 minutes. I, I did a couple rides, easier rides, but still 
um, doing some um, Ironman intervals. What, why don't you go through? Watts a little bit. What, why don't you go through like a what, was it a Saturday or Sunday race? It was a Sunday race. Sunday race. So are, are you comfortable yeah. going through Monday through to Saturday for us? Yeah. yeah so cool. I Let's actually, yeah, I drove down on Monday because for me, I really like being on the course and getting to know the course and becoming familiar with it. So I drove down by myself on Monday. My husband and son flew down on Friday. So I had the whole week kind of familiarize and to train when I needed to train and kind of not have any distractions around not that they're distractions but it just changes the dynamic when I have other people to worry about so it was just me I got down there I was able to run on the course different parts of the out and back run course I was able to bike on the course I drove the whole course to see what I would be what kind of roads I would be riding on and how flat the course really was, which was quite shocking. Um, so I got down there on Monday. Uh, I did a little shakeout run. And then on Tuesday, I did a swim in the river. So I went, I went to the starting point of the swim and then I swam down halfway through the swim and got out and was able to see like, okay, feel the current, feel the water to know what I was to expect on race morning. And then um, I did a 90 minute bike on the course. I just did an out and back on part of the course and got a feel for some of the roads and some of the terrain, which was really helpful for me to know what I was going to be riding on and where the wind directions were and all of that. Just familiarizing myself. And then on Wednesday, I just had a run, like a 50-minute run. So I ran on a section of the course to, again, familiarize myself with the course. On Thursday, I did, did I, did I do another swim? I did a swim on Friday. So on Thursday, I did a bike run, um, a, a mini little brick. And then Friday, I did a swim. I woke up and I, I ran first for like 30 minutes and then swam again the same exact um, distance that I had swam on Tuesday. So getting in at the start of the swim, going halfway through the swim and then getting out. Um just in the safe part of the American river because the American river then transfers into the um, Sacramento river, which is the second half of the swim course, but that's a busier river. So it was important for me to get out before getting into the Sacramento river. And then on Saturday, the day before the race, I only did like a 30 minute spin just to make sure that my bike was working. Everything was good to go. And yeah, it was it was a very light week for me. It was like very antsy by the time I got to the race. Yeah, I imagine you definitely freshened up a bit for that. And do you do any sort of warm up before a an Ironman? No, so this I don't is Sunday do any morning. kind of warm up. No, nope. yeah, just straight no. into the water. Um, just took the shuttle to the swim start and waited on a long line of athletes, and straight into the water for me. All right, well, let's talk about the race and how the the day unfolded for you now. Um, so you have already mentioned that the bike and run were very, very flat and you know, much flatter than you're used to or much flatter than any of the courses that you've done previously. And I think most people know, but the the swim course at this race is downriver, so it's quite fast i believe it is the correct distance but just current assisted so it means the swim splits are quite fast um is there anything else we need to know about the course itself like what was the weather like on the day yeah yes so the weather we woke up and it was raining 
but it had stopped raining for the swim and part of the bike. I got off the bike before it started to downpour, but we can go into that later. But it was kind of a a stormier day. Not as windy as the year before, because the year before, I guess it was super, super windy, but it was still like rain showers, a little cooler. Like I started the bike wearing gloves <laughs> and I had toe warmers, but I ended up taking the gloves off rather quickly. And it, it was actually the perfect temperature on the bike for me. And then the run was just a downpour. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, now tell us about that downstream swim. So you're taking the shuttle, you're at the start, you're ready to go. I'm in California is underway. Tell us how the swim went, how it felt, what it was like swimming with the current, all of those things. Yeah. The, the swim is actually a lot faster than I thought it was going to be because I had known athletes who had done it the year before and I knew their time, the times that they had, in that swim and the times that they produced in the pool. So I had kind of predicted that my swim would be around an hour, but for some reason, and I don't know if it was because of the rain or what was going on or just more water in the area, but the swim was much faster than that. Or maybe I had just improved, who knows, but I don't think it was that significant of an improvement. Um, But yeah, the swim was fast and I was pretty shocked when I got out of the the water and saw my time on my watch and um, I would say the second half of the swim was extremely cold like once the river um, transitions from the American River to the Sacramento River it gets a lot colder so I was pretty cold at that point and ready to be done with the swim Um, I get cold pretty easily so got out of the water saw my time got super excited and that I just at that point I was like this is this is my day this is going to be my day I just know it and I ran through transition it's a very long transition there so it kind of makes up for the fast swim because transition takes forever um but when I was running through transition I saw my family and I was like just happy as could be swim is over felt great felt like I had done nothing (laughs) and um yeah onto the bike and run so that would have been an accumulation of your swim fitness the current and then just feeling good on the day and obviously you've come in faster so you you would typically swim a 70 75 minute swim split you would expect and you would hope to have improved a little bit and then you anticipated you might swim 60 minutes um, at this race. Um, but what was your swim split in the end? I swam a 46. 46. Uh, you'll be yeah. in the pro rank soon. I know. Lucy. Okay. <laughs> so, um, we're already four, we're already 14 minutes ahead. So tell us now about, uh, how the bike unfolded and the, and that flat, flat bike course, that you're not used to. Yeah. So as soon as I got on the bike, I was, um, feeling really good. And, um, I immediately got in, I got into my, the zone, my power zones that I was going to be targeting for the day. And I got there and it felt really easy. And I knew, okay, this is a good sign because in all my race rehearsals, like those, those zones feel too easy to begin with. And so I just knew that I was right where I needed to be. And I stayed in my zones and um, I positioned myself in the swim kind of near the front because I wanted to be at the front of the race when I got on the bike. And I knew that this was the style of race where the swim wouldn't matter that much. So I needed to be up there. So it was really clear to me very early on in the bike that I was near the front of the race, like at the out and back. So I could see the three girls that were in front of me. Um, and I just knew that I was slowly gaining on them um, at each of the out and backs. It's a, it's a, um, you go out and back twice. So 
there were a few times when I was able to see kind of where I was at um, in the race with regard to where they were at. And I mean, my, my out and back splits were really good on the first out and back. The winds were a little lighter, so it was a little faster for me and I was fresher, obviously. And then on the second out and back, the winds really picked up. So we had a really strong headwind out and then a tailwind back, which was actually really nice. But it was also a time when I could make up time because I knew that on that last out and back, um, people would probably ease up a little bit with the, the tailwind assist. So I decided to still stick within my numbers and push a little bit and not get caught up in the relaxed tailwind assist where you could go a little bit easier if you wanted to. And that's when I was able to pass all the girls who were in front of me on that last um, segment coming back into T2. And when I got off the bike, I was in first. I had a two-minute lead over second. Right. So all going well so far. Uh, so you yeah. obviously mentioned riding to power. Is that your primary mm-hmm. measure for your intensity on the bike? And can you tell us what power you're trying to hold and what the watts per kilo are for the data geeks? Yeah. So on a course like this, because there's no hills, your normalized is going to be pretty similar to your, what you're averaging. And so I was, if you're riding nice and even. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Right. (laughs) So I had never really done that before because all the hilly courses, there's more of a distinction there. But on this course, I was really just trying to maintain 190 watts to 200 watts. And there was some variability there, of course, because you play with the race dynamics as well. When you're in kind of a pack, of course, um, drafting at legal distance, when you're in a group of riders, you can burn a match by passing five or six. You know, I'm riding with guys primarily. So if I try and pass them, usually I get passed back. And then you're just playing this kind of cat and mouse who wants to pass who, who wants to be in front. So I just, I didn't want to burn a bunch of matches by playing those games. So sometimes you would settle in just 12 meters back and ride with the group that you were in. So I would ride a little bit lighter during those times. And then there were times when like after an aid station, when I'd find myself alone again or at the front of the group and I'd ride a little harder. So I think for the, um, the entire bike leg, my power was 185 watts and my normalized was 190. So Perfect. fairly Sounds close good. there. And, and that got yeah, you exactly what, what I was aiming split? for. Yeah, my bike split was 454. Very good. And you've obviously mentioned a couple of times now, like you were paying attention to other girls and who was ahead of you and then you got off the bike in the lead so obviously you're mm-hmm. racing the race rather than just going for a fast time were you intending on just racing within your age group or were did you have one eye on the overall female title as well which we obviously know now how it ended and you were able to achieve that tell us a little bit about racing the race dynamics there and what your goals were yeah that one's so interesting because I've never thought that I could win an an Ironman. Like I never, that's never been a goal of mine. Um, But I think after Oregon 70.3, after I won the overall age group there, I was like, well, maybe like if everything came together, right, maybe, but I'm in a little bit older of an age group. And I know that there's a lot of fast girls um, younger girls than me and these are the type of races where you you will get you know the 25 year old who wants to go pro showing up to the race to win it to go pro so they use these races as those opportunities and so I never really thought yeah I could win this thing I was just trying to win my age group and n- not only that but just like 
I wanted the best race that I could have. Like I knew what I was capable of. I was just ready to have the day that I had trained years and years and years for, because this really was a culmination of so many years, not just the eight weeks leading up to it, but all the experience that I had built up. I just knew that it was time for me to have that kind of a day that we dream about those magical days where everything just falls together. I was just ready for that. And so that's what I was, that was my goal going into this race was to have the magical day for me, not to really um, focus on anybody else. Yeah. And just but yeah, when I got if you off have the a bike, good day. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. When I got off the bike um, and was in first, I was like, I was freaking out a little bit because <laughs> that's never happened. Um, so I was freaking out a little bit and then I was like, okay, let's, let's see how this goes. Let's see how I feel going into the run. And um, yeah, that's when the strategy that that's when like the, the knowledge that I had learned from just watching the race. Like I follow triathlon. I love triathlon. I follow triathlon. I follow the pros. I watch the pros religiously and just learning about race dynamics. I was like, okay, I need to go out hot, like really hot if I have it in me. And because I knew that the girls behind me would probably have people out there telling them splits, telling me them what I was doing, telling them where they were at. And I knew that if I was running fast, that it could potentially kind of play mind games a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> like if I knew that I was coming off the bike and somebody was running extremely fast in front of me, I might not feel as confident as if they were running super slow or within my reach. So I ran out super hot for the first eight miles, like at 70.3 pace, <laughs> taking a risk because I knew I was like, I have it in me. Like I've been doing this in my training. I can do this. So I yeah, took okay. a risk. That, I ran out hot. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. with so that, that so you went into full race mode there. Point. Yeah. 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 At that point I was racing to win because I was like, this is my chance. And so I was willing to risk it all at that point. And so that's what I did. I took the risk and I said, okay, it's, it's time to race for the win, not just race to feel good and to, to see what I'm, you know, can do. It's time to race this race and to race for the win. Yeah. Okay. So you went in just wanting to have the magical day, as you put it, knowing that that would probably put you in the podium, hopefully winning your age group. Then when you got mm -hmm. off the bike and you were leading overall, that's when you went full, full race mode, full beast mode and thought, right, I'm going to take my opportunity here and see if I can hang on for the, for the overall win. Yes. Okay. Got it. So that's, that yeah. in itself, I think is a nice little glimpse into your mindset and approach. So for reference, what what was the proposed run strategy before you got off the bike in the lead and decided to put the hammer down? So were you running to pace to heart rate? And then as the second part of that question, what is that difference between your original plan and Ironman pacing strategy to you running out at 70.3 pace? What, what sort of difference are we talking? Yeah, so normally, well, I don't pay attention to heart rate. So that that wasn't something that I was focusing on. And it's interesting because where I live, the elevation difference was pretty significant. And I could feel that like my heart rate did not get very high during that day <laughs> because of the elevation change. So I think that helped me. Um, but I do usually start out um, marathon pace. I aim for about a 745 to 750 coming off the bike just settling in, seeing how the legs feel. But my first mile off the bike for this race was seven minute mile, <laughs> which is my 70.3 pace. And then I settled in at like a 7.10, 7.15 for the first eight miles. So I think that's like a 4.33K per, yeah, per yeah. K. It's a, yeah, it's yeah. more that difference between 
what the original plan or goal would have been and then what you ended up doing. So, so far, so far it's what not to do and how not to pace a marathon, but obviously it went well. So following on for that first eight miles and you settling into that 710 to 715 per mile pace, how, how did the remaining miles mm-hmm. unfold for you? How, how, how did it go? You know, were people catching with you? Were you pulling away? All of those details. Yeah. So, um, the way that this court, the run course is laid out, there's a lot of out and backs on it as well. So, uh, every time there was an out and back at the turnaround, I would time, look at my watch and time how long it was to the next girl, just the girl who was running in second and to the girl who was running in third, who was actually in second. I didn't find that, that, um, that until later, but she had started further back in the swim. So uh, the yes, girl yes. who was running in third was actually the closest one to me time-wise um, running in second, but I didn't know that. Um, but every time at an out and back, I would look at my watch time and kind of give myself an idea of where they were at. When, I, when we started the run, they were two minutes back. And then at eight miles, that's when it started to pour. Like it was pouring so hard that there were like little lakes and ponds forming on the run course. And like, there were a couple dirt sections that had just turned to mud. I mean, it was, it was a very messy (laughs) run because of that. But as soon as it started to rain, I actually got really excited because I just knew that that was, also going to work to my advantage because I was like I had trained in the rain and I'd been in the cold and I was just ready to do the thing and so I picked up the pace a little bit at times when it was really really raining um and then I kind of settled in at a 7 30 pace after those first eight miles and I had extended my lead to about six minutes and I was kind of running at that for a while um, where I had a six minute lead, six minute cushion. I eventually extended it to eight minutes. And then um, at like mile 18, I started to have some stomach issues and I had to stop at a porta potty. <laughs> and um, which was actually a really good stop for me. Like that needed to happen. It was quick. But I got in, got out, carried on, picked up my pace again. And uh, then at mile 24, <laughs> I had to stop again. But at that point, I knew I had a really good cushion. I had about eight minutes. So I took the opportunity to stop. And then I had to stop again at mile 25. Like I was having some mega tummy issues. And I didn't want to have, huh? I said the walls are closing in on you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You get, you get to 18 miles and it's 24, then it's 25 and you're just trying to get to the finish line. Yeah, I know. I was like, this is, I was talking to the, the girl who was riding, riding the bike with me. And, um, I was just telling her like, I can't believe I have to stop again. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> apologizing to her it was hilarious but um yeah at mile 25 I was like I cannot believe the finish like I can hear the finish line the way the way the way that the course is structured like you're around the finish line for a very long time before you actually cross it <clears throat> so like I can't believe I can hear the finish line and here I am like stopping at all these porta potties but I didn't want to risk an accident at the finish line so I'm glad that I made those stops. Fair enough. Yeah, that's Fair the last enough. thing I wanted to do with all the people looking at me and all the cameras and everything. So, got to the finish line, and um, yeah, the lead side, uh, the woman who was riding with me, uh, she said, "Yeah, this is this. You've got it. This is your race. You've won." And so I knew that I took I took those moments on the red carpet and celebrated, and yeah. Ah, uh, cool. Well, well, well congratulations. 
So yeah, thank you. You're welcome. So how was uh, so what did the run split end up being and what was your lead across the finish line, like your overall winning margin? Yeah, my run, I ran a three twenty-three and which was a four minute personal best for me. So I was really happy with that, even with all the stops. Yep. And um I think I won by eight minutes. Yeah, so you uh-huh. kept it. You kept it a pretty good lead in the end. You kept that buffer. Yeah. So, yeah, it sounds like yeah. maybe the other girls sort of faded a little bit in the in the second half as well. Do you know what you went yeah. through halfway in? Out of interest, like your twenty-one kilometers, oh. thirty-eight mile split. Yeah, it it was pretty fast. I want to say it was like one thirty-five. One, yeah, around one thirty-five. Yeah, that is pretty quick. First so half I slowed. Yeah, the second half for sure, but yeah. that was intentional, kind of. <laughs> I kind guess. of. Yeah. Okay. Apart from yeah. the porta potty stops, or did you plan those as well? Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, there was about five minutes of stoppage for bathroom. Um. So I think it really, that run really gave me confidence for the future because now I know I can run way faster than I previously thought I could. And I felt good other than the fact that my tummy, my tummy was having struggles. And for the rest of the night, I had the struggle. Like I could not eat food after that race until the next day. Like I was up all night with tummy issues. I don't know if it was from the river water or what, but. I was pretty sick the rest of the day. Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> well, that's even scary yeah. for your uh, competitors that if you can go even faster. So you ended up obviously winning. You're now a 70.3 overall age group champion and an Ironman overall age group champion. And your finish time was 9.43. So pretty quick. Anything else to tell us about the race? Yeah, my finish time was... Uh... 917 oh 917 okay yep i've seen the photos and it's 943 yeah yeah sorry that's a good correction to make yeah that's very quick very quick yeah yeah it was a good race for me yeah great and the i was just hoping to go under 10 so (laughs) i think you've uh you've ticked that box well and truly yes so big question we talked about it last time we caught up in episode 10 but uh, you weren't sure at that time whether or not you would take your slot to Nice. And we talked about, you know, you know, Nice could be a course that suits you because as has come up many times through this conversation, you you live in a hilly area and you're potentially more suited or at least used to an Ironman on that type of course. Um, and you going to California and having a really flat course is very foreign for you. So the big question is, did you take your qualifying slot for the Ironman World Championships in Nice? I thought about it, but I didn't at that time. And there's a few reasons for that. Um, I'm just not sure about the timing of that race, given my son's school schedule and with it being over in France, it's it would be a lot of time away from work, from school. I mean, if I'm going to travel that far, I want to, I'm going to be gone for at least two weeks. And so I wasn't ready to make that commitment. And I think one of the reasons why I didn't take it was because of some of the opportunities that they're offering uh, females, particularly for um, future opportunities to qualify. And um, if, the opportunity comes about where it will work out with my schedule, then I will just target it at another time later next year. Like there's a number of 70.3 races where you can qualify now. And I'm signed up for two of those. Um, And yeah, I think that they're offering spots even to all world athletes. I heard. So I'm hearing just a lot of rumors that there's going to be, that it's going to be, accessible if need be 
So I wasn't ready to commit at that time, but that doesn't mean that I won't contemplate or consider it at a later time. We're also um, going through some big life changes. My husband and I and son are moving soon. So he's going to be on a different school schedule timing wise, and we're going to be living in a different place. So maybe it will all work out better with those new schedules. That's what I want to wait and see. So because of all of these changes that are coming up on us, um, I just wasn't ready to commit yet, but I knew that I would have further opportunities to do so if need be. So we'll see. I mean, never out of the question. It's just, um, I, it's hard to commit on that day. Like they, they've really put the pressure on you to take the spot. They really do. Yeah. Well, that's all fair enough. And I think that epitomizes the considerations that an age trooper has to go through when it, when it comes to these sorts of things. So, um, yeah, well, and, but as you said, it's, it's not a, it's not a hard no, definitely not. It's just, you haven't, you haven't taken the slot just yet and you may or may not do so down the, down the line if the opportunity arises. So very interesting. So, yeah, but you know what? I will aim for Kona 2025. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. The lure of Kona never, uh, never goes away. So yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, fair enough. Um, so what races will you do? Like, what are you doing next? What's obviously you guys, uh, moving house, which is exciting, moving States in as well. And, um, you, yeah, having a bit of downtime and, and you mentioned a couple of 70.3. So just tell us about what's, what's next in your life. Yeah, so I have a lot of things going on in the next two months that don't really involve training or racing. Um, and I am going to be taking some extended time away from triathlon while we move states. We're moving from Oregon to Arizona, Tucson. And um, that's going to all happen probably in December. And I'm also... I haven't really said anything about this yet, but I do have to have a minor surgery and I don't want to go into details about it, but it's going to, it's happening in two weeks and um, it's going to put me out off the bike and running and swimming for a couple of months. So that's going to kind of coincide with our move, which will be good. It'll keep me occupied. And then, um, I will get straight back into it um, once I'm recovered from that surgery. And next year, I is still fairly tentative, but I will plan on doing um, at least one or two full distance Ironmans. I'm already signed up for Oregon 70.3. I think I'm going to aim for Boulder 70.3. And, um, yeah, we'll see which Ironmans I kind of target or shoot for because there's not a lot of options now. So I'd like to do something new, but we'll see if I head back to one of the ones I've already done. Well, that sounds very busy and lots going on, but, um, yeah, you got your yeah. 70.3s locked in. So you got some family and health things to take care of. And then, yeah, yeah you're looking to, yeah, looking to, um, plan an Ironman. And then I guess you've already said you really want to get back, get to Kona um, and you may even take an opportunity to get to Nice. So if you think the next two months is busy, I think your 2024 is going to be even busier. So that's, that's exciting in itself. So good luck with it all. Yeah. Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, before I take up too much more of your time, I might um, wrap that one up. We really just wanted to do a bit of a recap of your, your final block into this race and then go through the race itself. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all the details. I reckon uh, people will find it enjoying enjoyable and I certainly did. So thanks for coming on for round two and all the best for the next couple of months and also into 2024. Thank you so much, Jamie. No worries. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. If you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future guests, please contact us via the Diary of an Age Grouper Instagram page. 
Alternatively, you can email info at jetcoaching.com.au. Don't forget to like, comment, share and subscribe. This podcast was born to discuss all things age group triathlon. As an athlete, coach and fan of the sport, I've always been intrigued with different approaches to training and how to optimize an individual's performance. We will speak to athletes who perform at a high level, as well as those with an interesting story. We will speak to coaches with a vast array of experience and also experts in various fields. We want to sift through what the physiology labs tell us, as well as what we see the pros doing and take the lessons that apply to us. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper.